Amen. Thank you, Brian. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. I hope you've noticed the change in the sound in this room. Amen? Amen. So let's just take some time to celebrate that, to give God a hand. And I want you to know the amount of work that uh, Lee Gehring, I know he hates when I do this, but just the amount of work that Lee Gehring has put into this. I mean, he's probably worked a full-time job in three days uh, helping us get this set up. And so if we could just give it up for Lee, I just want to appreciate that. Amen. Also, uh, I believe that in the book of Nehemiah, there's a, uh, uh, a stipulation where there's celebration for, for God's victories. And so I want to also celebrate yesterday as we had our Harvest Festival. We saw over 200 people through the doors. It was a busy time. Bouncy houses were going crazy. Uh, kids were everywhere. Families were everywhere. And it was a beautiful thing. And we had uh, amazing volunteers who helped pull that off. And so if we could just give them a round of applause as well. Because it was awesome. It was, uh, it was a really great time. Uh, and so also, I want to thank you personally. This month has been the uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and I have felt so blessed. I know last week you saw that the church as a whole gave Hillary and I and my kids a gift. And, and I just can't thank you enough. The cards that have come, the phone calls, the emails... Uh, we're just supremely blessed. And so I wanted to take time to thank you for taking time out of your month to uh, share with me your appreciation and your love and your prayers. And I just want to thank you for that. Also want to reinforce the shoe boxes. I know that you have in your bulletin all about uh, the shoe boxes, when to turn them in, November 18th. Please take care of that. We would really love your involvement with Operation Christmas Child. It's a huge blessing. And I know that as a church, we've done it many years and many times God has used our church to bless many people. And before we move into the sermon, I would like to take time to pray for the families of those that were killed in Pittsburgh yesterday. It was a huge tragedy in, in America where uh, an act of, of, of hate killed 11 people, four of them are our servicemen in uh, the police force. And so I'm just going to take a moment to pray for the families and for uh, the victims in that process. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a comforter. The scriptures promise your comfort and your peace. So we intercede for the people who have been harmed by this hate. We pray for your comfort. We pray for your peace. Father, we pray for our nation where this could happen. And it has happened several times. God, I pray for our country. Bring conviction to the hate. Bring change to the violence. Only you, only you can do it. So, Father, we, we ask for you to do that. We intercede for the people who've been harmed today. And may they be on our hearts and on our minds as we go through today. May we continue to pray for them. In your name, amen. Amen. Today we're starting a series on prayer. Uh, prayer is the primary work of God's people, which is a core value of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We are a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, and so the elders and myself, we felt it's important for us to talk about prayer. Before we jump into our series in the book of John, 
Let's, as a church, discuss prayer. What does it look like? How do we pray? What are the ways of prayer? And so we are going to be discussing that this morning. But before I jump into that, I would like for you to watch a quick video in a moment because I believe that although it's really silly and it's comical in its approach, I think that, that we can look and see sometimes our prayer life might look like this. Make sure the prince doesn't leave this room until I come and get him. Not to leave the room even if you come and get him. No, no. Until I come and get him. Until you come and get him, we're not to enter the room. No, no, no. You stay in the room and make sure he doesn't leave. And you'll come and get him. Right. We don't need to do anything apart from just stop him entering the room. No, no. Leaving the room. Leaving the room, yes. All right? Right. right. Oh, if, 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 uh, if, if, uh, if, if, yes, if we... Oh, if... Oh. Look, it's quite simple. Uh... You just stay here and make sure he doesn't leave the room. All right? Oh, I remember. Uh, can he leave the room with us? No, no, no. no. You just keep him in here and make sure... Oh, he... yes, we'll keep him in here, obviously. But if he had to leave and we were no, no, with no, him... Just keep him in here... Until you or anyone else... No, not anyone else, just me... Just you... Get back. Get back. Right? Right, we'll stay here until you get back. And uh, make sure he doesn't leave. What? Make sure he doesn't leave. The prince? Yes, make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, yes, of course. I thought you meant him. You know, it seemed a bit daft me having to guard him when he's a guard. Is that clear? Oh, quite clear. No problems. Right. Where are you going? We're coming with you. No, no, I want you to stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> I love that clip because, you know, in any good relationship, you need good communication. And the king obviously did not have very good communication with his knights. They were very confused. And, and I fear that many times when we come to pray, when we have conversations with the Lord, we can feel like that. Where we're praying and it seems like he's not listening. Or he's speaking and it seems like we're not listening. And we're not on the same page. But good communication is an important part of any relationship. In fact, prayer is our communicative connection to God. Prayer is how we communicate to the Lord. It is how we share our heart, our prayers, our requests, our anxiety, our fears. That's how we communicate with the Lord. And so if we have struggles with how do we pray, what are the ways of prayer we're going to feel like that often in our relationship with God. I don't know if you felt that way, but I know there have been times where I have felt that way in my relationship. For many, prayer can be confusing. We don't often hear many sermons on prayer. And if we do, we, all we do is read the Lord's Prayer and, and that's, that's it. But the next four weeks, we're going to unpack prayer. Uh, next week, for two weeks in a row, I'm going to take the Lord's Prayer and kind of extrapolate what is Jesus really modeling? What is he saying? How do we follow that model? But there's also ways in the Scripture that Paul, in the Pauline epistles, gives us to pray. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. How do we pray and what are the ways of prayer? Because there are many scripturally suggested ways in which you and I are to pray to help us get on the same page with God so that we don't have those confusing moments. So the question is, what are the ways of prayer? 
And as you note, we have several different uh, passages of Scripture that we're going to be reading today. So we are going to be doing a little bit of what I like to call biblical calisthenics as we flex our muscles going back and forth and our fingers are going to be a bit busy. Uh, You can follow along on your own or you can read it uh, or listen to it as I read it. So the first passage that we're going to be looking at is Romans 8, 26 through 28. Romans 8, 26 through 28. And the word of the Lord says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to to his purpose. And now I'm going to read Ephesians 6:18. Ephesians 6:18. If you remember while we were doing our series on Ephesians, I said we're going to come back to this in our series on prayer. I'm going to kind of unpack it a little bit more than we had time when we were going through Ephesians. The word of the Lord, Ephesians 6:18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. And now I will move into Philippians 4, 6. I'm sharing these with us so that we can see the ways that Paul is giving us to pray. Philippians 4, 6. The word of the Lord says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. That word supplication continues to come up, as well as thanksgiving. And finally, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Each of these passages give ways of prayer. And I'm going to be using an acronym because when a believer prays, a believer sits. And so sits is the acronym. Supplication, intercession, thanksgiving, and prayer in the Spirit. So those are the ways that we're going to unpack today. And each of those specific areas of prayer or ways of prayer could be unpacked by themselves in a sermon. But I want to be able to kind of wrap it into one nice wrapping for us as we look at how a believer sits to pray. The first way of prayer that we can look at is supplication. And prayers of supplication are humble requests. You could see this in Philippians and the Timothy and the Ephesians passage, that prayers of supplication are humble requests. One of the things that that we need to remember is this, that God desires good things for his children. God desires to have an intimate relationship with you and with me. We talked about this several times in Ephesians and then in our series on our vision and mission. God wants a relationship with you. He cares about your requests. He cares about what's going on in your life and he desires to hear about them. 
Supplications are coming with a humble attitude saying, Lord, here are the requests I have. Whether it's provision for food or provision for someone else or a specific request on your heart that you get a job or whatever it is, these are humble requests that we're coming before the Lord and we're in an attitude of supplication. I pray, Lord, for these requests. They are humble. Supplication comes from a recognition of the Lord's capability but also his sovereignty. When we bring supplicational prayers to the Lord, we're saying, I know that you are capable of fulfilling every prayer request I have. You are all powerful, you are almighty, you are all knowing, and you have the capability to do this. I know that. But we also have to believe in his sovereignty, which means he knows better than we do. One of my favorite mentors in my life, a teacher at ATS, he always says that theology 101 is that God knows what he's doing and we don't have a clue. (laughs) And so that's the first aspect of theology for us to catch and understand, that God is all-knowing. And we have to trust in his sovereignty, that when we bring a request to him in humility, it's not a demand. Right? You would never go up to someone and demand something. Well, you shouldn't because, you know, we, we just, that's not how you approach communication. I need you to do this right now. Now, maybe your boss does that or you do that to those that you are above. But as we talked about in the book of Ephesians, that's not proper to do that, right, if you remember. But when we come to supplications with the Lord, we are asking with humility, knowing that he is capable, but also understanding that he is sovereign. And so he may or may not answer our request the way in which we want to. You see, many times when we come with requests, there's very little humility. And we come with a sense of entitlement saying, God, you've got to do this. I've been so good. I've been so squeaky clean in my faith. You just got to do this for me. But there's no trust in his sovereignty. And then when God doesn't answer our particular request, the way in which we wanted it to be answered, we begin to distance ourselves from God and believe that he doesn't care. But there's nothing more far from the truth. God cares deeply. And we must trust in the sovereignty of God. Supplication is humility. It's not a demand. It's not a demanding prayer. We cannot come to prayer with our own agenda of how God is going to do it. We must simply come and say, Father, this is on my heart. Please, hear my prayer. And he might answer it a completely different way, but it's exactly the way that it needed to be answered. That's trusting in his sovereignty. And Jesus perfectly displayed this. If you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was about to be betrayed by Judas. He was about to be arrested, beaten, and put upon the cross. And he sits and he asks a request of supplication. Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. But what does he say at the end? Not my will, but your will be done. It was a moment of intense supplication for himself. A humble request, but he believed in the sovereignty of his father. And so we too must pray in the same way. A.W. Tozer, he says, what the praying man does is to bring his will into line with the will of God so God can do what he has all along been willing to do. Thus prayer changes the man and enables God to change things in answer to the man's prayer. 
Prayers of supplication, our requests, are to bring our will in line with the will of God. Or as we talked about in terms of intimacy, that we lay our head upon the chest of the Lord and we hear his heartbeat for those things that we are requesting. And he can bring our heartbeats in a line with his own. Also in that Philippians passage, in 4.6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With supplication, worry can be expelled by expectant prayer. Worry can be expelled by expectant prayer. Listen, let's be honest. Many times we go to the Lord in supplication, it's because we're anxious about something. We're worried about something. We have fear about something. Lord, if I don't have this job, everything is going to be terrible. I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about my children. And many times when we come to our supplicational prayers, it is because anxiety has driven us to our knees. But he says, do not be anxious for anything. When we come with supplication and requests, we can say, Lord, I trust you. Here is what I need. But you know what I need even more than I know what I need. Now, that's a really tough thing to say. Because we know what we need. And we need it now. I need that job right now. I need that that check right now. Lord, come on. How do you not know me right now? But that's not true supplication. Supplication comes with humility, aligning our heart with his. You see, demanding prayer is different than supplication. And in order to have good communication with the Lord, supplication is where we should find those requests and pray those requests to the Lord. It's like that that video where we are showing God what we need and we feel like he's saying, uh, okay, you mean we leave and, and we leave him here and, and there's just this confusion and we get frustrated with the Lord and many times we get so frustrated we might stop praying. But my friends, worry can be expelled by expectant prayer. Humble requests do not seek to be answered in our way but rather his way. So we talked about supplication. Let's move into the idea of intercession. And there's a fine line between supplication and intercession. There is a difference, but there can be those moments where you are in supplicational prayer where all of a sudden you move into intercessory prayer. So prayers of intercession are interventions on behalf of others. Prayers of intercession are interventions on behalf of others. Think John 17. When Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he prayed for you and for me, he is in the mode of intercession. He is praying for them. He's praying for their safety, their protection, their sanctification. He's praying, Lord, I stand in the gap, and I desire for them to be holy. Make them holy. That is what your will is, is for your disciples and your followers to be holy. 
May they be sanctified. May they be protected. You see, there's a difference between a humble request and an intercession. There is this heartache for this person. It might be a prayer of salvation where there is someone in your life that you desperately desire to see the Lord. And God desperately desires for them to come to salvation as well. And that's where we go to intercession. We intercede for them. God, please. God, please bring them to salvation. We see this in Numbers 14. The priests in the Old Testament were to be intercessors by sacrificing the animals on behalf of the other Jews. It was an intercessory, an intercessory sacrifice. They were in behalf of those people, on behalf of those people, interceding to God, standing in the gap. There is a difference between supplication and intercession. Jesus prayed earnestly in those moments. And we see the role of priests in the Old, Old Testament urgently going after the sacrifices. Intercession is praying for those who don't or won't pray for themselves. We all have people in our lives who are not going to the Lord. We all have people in our lives that we know will not bow a knee to the Lord. And so we must be praying for them. We must intercede for them. I know that one of the most powerful prayers, powerful moments of intercession is for parents for their children. Because children are anxious for their kids. They want the best for their children. And they get on their knees and they say, God, please, I intercede for them. I stand in the gap on behalf of them. I know that right now they're not going to be praying, but I pray for them. It's a fervent, passionate prayer. And it's selfless in many ways because we're not praying for ourselves. We're standing in the gap for others. And sometimes it can be the most emotional type of prayer because you are just going after it. You're praying on their behalf. We can intercede for our church. We can intercede, God, we desire to see your will happen in this place. We desire for your glory to be made known. We intercede on behalf of the people in this community. Use our church. Those are passionate, intercessory prayers. Are we intercessors? Some people say, oh, there's certain people who are just intercessors. I'll leave all the intercessory prayer to them. My friends, we're called to intercede as well. It may not be the most passionate prayer that you get excited about, but we are to intercede for others. We are to pray for our church to be a light. We are to pray for people who walk through the doors to sense the glory and the power and the presence of Jesus. Are we doing that? We're to intercede for other people to experience the glory of the Lord let me challenge you, next Sunday, before you come to church, intercede for one another and say, God, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, will hit and ignite someone's heart this Sunday as they hear the word and as they worship through music. That's intercessory prayer. Prayers of intercession are powerful. We see Jesus on the cross in Luke 23, 34. He says, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. As he was dying, Jesus was interceding for those who were killing him. We are to intercede for our enemies as well. And also, if you notice in this portion of 1 Timothy, God says not only to pray for all people, but he gives a specific area of prayer, of who to pray for, for kings and all who are in high positions. 
that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Now, there are tons of leaders in our world in high positions that are not leading very peaceful or quiet lives. You know what I'm saying? So we are to intercede. We are to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for our bosses. We're to pray for our pastors. We're to pray for our elders. We're to pray for our president. No matter who is in office, no matter how you like them or don't like them, we are to pray and intercede on their behalf. We are to be on our knees for our leaders. We're to have that intercession on behalf of them. Sometimes we know that our boss will not pray, so we pray for them. And when they really get us angry and they really you know, frustrate us, man, we can intercede a whole lot harder. God, make them a better boss, amen. <laughs> right? We can go to our knees with powerful intercession. God calls us to intercede. In Romans 8, we also see this passage, this portion of Scripture, talks about the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. It says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, there's a double meaning that we'll see about what that means, groanings too deep for words. But we must understand that the Spirit himself stands in the gap for us. Just as Jesus prayed on behalf of his disciples and on behalf of you and me, we see the Spirit interceding on our behalf. So may we be intercessors the next way that we can see uh, to, to pray, another way of prayer is thanksgiving. And prayers of thanksgiving recognize the giver is good. Prayers of thanksgiving recognize the giver is good. And you might be wondering why in your bulletin I add on these different portions of Scripture. I'm not going to be able to read them all the time, but take this home and study it on your own. I give you the specific addresses to read and pray over and think over. Because some of them I'll expound and I'll explain how I came to that point by using these verses. But others, I'm hoping that you're going home and you're reading these on your own. So that's a challenge, right? They're there for a reason. But thanksgiving prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, recognize that the giver is good. Every good gift comes from him. We talked earlier about entitlement in prayer, but if we have prayers of thanksgiving, it's really difficult to be entitled because we'll quickly recognize that we're entitled to nothing, that we rely upon him for everything. And that is the important part of thanksgiving prayer because it takes our focus off of us and on to him. He is the giver. There's a song by a group called House Fires. If you are looking for a good worship band, House Fires is a good acoustical worship band. And they have this song that simply refrains about three or four times, life is a gift and the giver is good. Life is a gift and the giver is good. And it repeats four or five times so that it sinks into our brain that everything we have is a gift from above and the giver is good. We must focus upon him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says that we are to be giving thanks in all circumstances. We should be offering prayers of thanksgiving in all circumstances. Wow, that's, that changes it a little bit, right? When, when things are going rough at work or things are going bad at home, we're to give thanks to God in all circumstances that he is there with us, that he is good. 
that despite what may be going on in our life, God is still on his throne and he is good. Prayers of thanksgiving take our focus off of our circumstances and on to the giver, the good king. And so are we spending time thanking him? And it could be, you know, many times we come to our our table and we thank the Lord for the food and then we eat it and then we forget to thank him for anything else. But Paul consistently says in the epistles, he matches supplication with thanksgiving. Why? Because when we ask the Lord for something, we can end it by saying, thank you, God, that you are a good God. Thank you that no matter what happens with these requests that I bring to you, that you are still good. That's why it's supposed to be partnered together. And so let me challenge you and challenge myself that we be a disciple that sits, supplication, intercession, and thanksgiving. That we bring those together in our communicative connection to God. May we be offering thanks to Him. Thanksgiving is a powerful, powerful prayer language. You see, One of the things we're going to talk about now is is a little bit of a controversial issue when it comes to prayer. But I, I want to tell you that prayer in the Spirit connects our hearts to His heart. Prayer in the Spirit connects our heart to His heart. 1 Corinthians 14, 2-14 explains the gift of speaking in tongues through a prayer language. It's a personal prayer language. And any person who is going to exegete the Scriptures or who is going to have a good hermeneutic needs to go through the wholeness of what Paul is talking about and connect them together. Because Paul, if you notice, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, and 1 Timothy, he wrote all of them. And so there's this hermeneutic called extended revelation where we make sure that we look at the whole extended revelation of Scripture and we can understand what Paul is saying in these different areas to us today. So we're going to unpack this prayer in the Spirit and how it connects our heart to his heart. Paul uses the phrase, in the Spirit. What does it mean? A guy by the name of John Mitten, he says this, and I think it's the best way of wrapping this idea of in the Spirit. He says, it is an approach to God relying not on our own piety, but on the help which God in his spirit offers to us. Prayer in the spirit is a constant reminder that we need God even in prayer. Even in prayer, we need God. And so whether we have the gift of tongues or not, when we're in prayer in the spirit, we're asking him, pray for me because I don't even know what to pray for. There are those moments where we come to God in those areas of frustration and pain and anxiety and we have no idea what we should even pray for or where we should even begin and that's where we pray in the Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, you need to intercede because I've got no clue. I don't know if you've been in a place of prayer like that, but I know I have. I'm saying you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to go to the Father on my behalf because I just don't even know what to pray for. There's so much stuff that's a mess in my life right now that I don't even know how to, how to go about praying for it. That's relying on the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. But there is a secondary meaning. And the secondary meaning is about the gift of tongues. The Spirit is there to help us to pray. And the gift of tongues is a personal and prayerful spiritual linguistic. The gift of tongues is a personal and prayerful spiritual linguistic. Now, everybody does not have the gift of tongues, but the gift of tongues is, in fact, a gift. It is for us today. 
It is something that does connect our heart to God's heart. It is a personal and prayerful spiritual linguistic. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, the whole chapter of 14, is talking about the difference between tongues and prophecy. But he says several times, I wish that you would pray in tongues. But if you're not going to have that gift, I want you to prophesy. But tongues is a gift that we are offered to pray in the Spirit. And so when we look at that phrase, groanings too deep for words, it is the, the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but also giving us a language that we can speak out that we don't even understand. That we don't know what we're saying with our mouth, but our soul feels weight lifted off of it. That is one of the beauties of the gift of tongues, is that when we pray in a prayer language, that there is a weight that just lifts off and we have no idea why. It's because the Holy Spirit is giving us groanings too deep for words. That people, if they would hear us pray, they would say, I have no idea what you're saying. I'm just going to walk away from you for right now. See, but the gift of tongues is one of those gifts that people are really afraid of. Because there has been absolute abuse of this gift. Right? It is both public and private, but the majority of Paul's epistles don't deal with the public nature of the gift of tongues. He deals with the private nature, the prayerful, private linguistic, where you are having a personal conversation with the Lord. The only place that really expounds upon the public nature is in 1 Corinthians, where people were abusing it. They were just standing up to prove and show in their arrogance, I got this gift and you don't, I'm just going to use it and freak everybody out. And Paul was like, stop it. That's not the purpose of the gift. The purpose of the gift of tongues is for edification. It is the only gift that is used for personal edification. If you realize the gifts that God talks about through Paul in 1 Corinthians, all of them are for corporate edification. But the gift of tongues is a gift that is for personal edification between God and ourselves. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, would even suggest that it's not the mind speaking, but it's the soul. That our very spirit is speaking to the very spirit of the living God. But we don't talk about the gift of tongues because it is a really, really controversial topic. And here's why. Because about in the 40s and 50s, there were several movements that said, if you don't speak in tongues, you are not really saved. Well, that's absolutely a lie. There's no scriptural evidence to say that. But it does say that the gift of tongues is real and is personal and is for the prayerful language of a believer. A guy named Pitches who talks about, uh, John Pitches, who talks about the beauty of all of the spiritual gifts and he unpacks them. He says this, tongues is not an act of divine ventriloquism, but it is an act of collaboration. It is our heart connecting to the heart of God and praying his will. There are some times in, in my life that I'm not going to want to pray the will of the Lord. But if I bow my knee and say, I want to pray in the spirit, I'm going to be praying the will of the Lord whether I want to or not because he's going to be using my soul to pray his, soul, his soul's will. My spirit touching his spirit. It's bowing the knee and saying, I want to collaborate with you in prayer. And it's not God moving our mouth and making us. It's our soul, our very heart. Because you and I long to be desired to God. We've talked about this. We desire to be connected to the Father. We were created with an urgent desire to be connected to our Creator. And so this aspect is true. But I must say, not all, we are all told to pray in the Spirit. 
We're all commanded by Paul to pray in the Spirit, but not all of us will have the gift of tongues, and that is okay. You and I can still pray in the Spirit where we're saying, Holy Spirit, I don't have the words. You know what my soul needs. Pray to him for me. But there is that secondary aspect of the gift of tongues, which is very biblical and solidly put through an extended revelation, a larger view. Again, it is one gift that the believer can use for personal edification. Finally, it's a powerful tool in spiritual warfare. I've seen this true in my own spiritual prayer life, where the enemy is coming after me or coming after my family. And I've seen people pray over me, and I don't know what they're saying. They're praying in tongues, but there's a weight that's lifted, and the enemy is dispelled in that moment. It is a powerful tool for spiritual warfare. Paul talks about that in the scriptures. Ephesians 6, 18. Let me go back to it so that we can see what I'm saying. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Oh, that's the wrong one. Oh, that is. 6, 18. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints, praying at all times in the Spirit. Our minds can't always interpret the spirit realm, so we need a spirit language to combat it. He brings that verse, that prayer in the spirit, in the middle of Ephesians 6, and that's where we see the armor of God. And he's saying, put on the full armor of God, but also pray in the spirit. Because we don't always know what the enemy's doing. We live in a, in a world that is both spiritual and material. We can't always see what's going on in the spirit realm, but God knows. And so we can pray a spiritual prayer with a spiritual prayer language to go after what the enemy's doing. Does that mean if I don't have the gift of tongues that I can't pray combative spiritual warfare prayer? Absolutely not. But I'm just sharing with you from Scripture what prayer in the spirit means both ways with both understandings of what it is. And I want to challenge us as a church to not be afraid of the spiritual gifts. God desires when we are worshiping him and we have closer proximity to his heart, the spiritual gifts are going to begin to show up and manifest themselves. And we're going to see people prophesying more in our church. We're going to see people teaching more in our church because they're going to be ignited by the spirit. And we may see people praying in a tongues in a spiritual language. Some people might be afraid to say, you know what, I have the gift of tongues, I pray in tongues. Many people don't even talk about it. Because it's so personal. It's so to themselves. But we need to not be afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because God desperately desires to use us. And that's how we edify one another. That's how we glorify Jesus through the Holy Spirit because his number one job is to glorify Christ. And he uses us through the spiritual gifts to glorify himself. So we've talked about four ways of prayer. How do we pray? Who do we pray for? And remember, the believer sits. The believer sits. When you are with the Lord and you're trying to have time of intimacy and communication, you're going to sit down and dig in and take time. And so that's why we use the acronym today, SITS. Prayers of supplication, prayers of intercession, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers in the Spirit. I pray that you are encouraged. I pray that you have a desire to go and pray, 
to utilize some of these tools to pray in a different way. Maybe you've never understood intercessory prayer. Maybe you're ignited to go ahead and pray for other people on their behalf. We are called to do that. Pray prayers of thanksgiving. Pray prayers of supplication. And seek to pray in the Spirit. Whether you have the gift of tongues or not, we all can pray in the Spirit. Asking Him for groanings too deep for words. Because you and I, we don't always know what we need. But He always does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers. I thank you that you are a God who not only hears our prayers, but answers our prayers. Not always in the way that we want it to look, but Father, you are a prayer-answering God. And in prayer, we're not the only ones speaking. You also are speaking. And as we move forward into understanding what prayer is in its fullness... I pray that we will sit with you. That we will be believers who sit and pray. Encourage our hearts, inspire us to go deeper in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please stand.